This is a download from News Talk 106 to 108. To download other programmes or for more information, go to newstalk.ie. As the devastating war in the Middle East drags on and occasionally makes its way into Europe, so we wonder what drives the terrorists. Is it politics, economics, or is it religion and the clash of civilizations? Because if we don't know what's driving the terrorists, then how can we respond to it? And maybe you can't help it. Maybe you know it's wrong. But do you worry about homegrown Muslim terrorists? And if this special kind of violence could only emerge from Islam, does that make you ignorant or Islamophobic or just human? Responding to Islamic terrorism at home, abroad and in the media. In studio, Carol Hunt is a columnist with the Sunday Independent and is a candidate for the Senate on the NUI panel. Declan Power is a security analyst. Roja Fazeli is a lecturer in Islamic Studies in Trinity College, Dublin. And Julian Merciel is a lecturer in UCD. Now, we're live this morning, so let us know what you think. 53106 for 30 cent for your text and at Talking Point NT for tweets. Um, Declan Power, I'll start with you. What do you think causes radicalisation amongst the Muslim community? Well, I think there are a number of factors and a lot of those factors are in a state of flux at the moment and we do ourselves a a service to observe the first law of situational awareness which is to constantly review things because it's very easy to say it's it's purely alienation but those factors vary it appears from uh, from group to group um, also uh, I think a significant factor at the moment with the current iteration of, uh, of Islamic terrorism as we've seen in the last uh, number of attacks the uh, th- there's a uh, shall we say a strategic imperative driving it too by IS in their uh, in their area so I think there's a bit of a disjoint. I think you have the people in Europe, the native European-born uh, French and Belgian Muslims, for example, who uh, have a slightly different profile to what was the case a few years ago. We're seeing, in many cases, they, they, they feel that sense of alienation, but they're not necessarily coming from devout Muslim backgrounds or very well-informed Muslim backgrounds. Uh, the profile of some of the people that uh, have carried out the attacks have had a mixture of petty criminal uh, disenchanted backgrounds. Now, uh, part of this is coming from the the sense of alienation that a lot of um, the uh, French and Belgian Muslims have felt uh, within their societies. Part of it is felt from a desire to want to belong to something bigger than themselves. I would say there are some similarities with how young people get recruited into dissident Republican groups here. And then there is also an element that the leadership class that would have been evident in Europe, the more educated ones, the, the thought formers, the officer class, if you like, they are not as prevalent in Europe. They've moved out of the jurisdiction because of the security gaze. So they're being, uh, they're being kind of, they're, they're puppets literally on strings. They're the cannon fodder. And the, the irony of it is that the sense of alienation they feel is often not, it's not articulate. Uh, it's, uh, you know, they, they, if you ask them uh, why are they fighting, you get 101 different answers. And this is different to, we'll say, the kinds of motivation of people that went to fight in jihad in the, we say, five years previous, who we say the profile of people from UK and Ireland who tended to be a bit more educated and they were looking more at wanting to unseat despotic regimes. So essentially what I'm saying is we have to be careful when we look at how people get radicalised and not think that it's a uniform thing. It's a variation of things, some of which may be economic, some of which may be um, their place in society, and some of which may be quite personal to them and their identity and their family circumstances. Yeah, the the bottom line is, I would, and I'd round it off on yeah, this point, yeah. I'd round it, is that mm. the Islamic community have a very important role here in 
not, uh, policing is too strong a word, but shall we say stewarding their own society and taking kind of responsibilities. And we do see people stepping forward to uh, uh, make us aware of this. And I think uh, the rest of us in Europe need to be finding ways to well, support like them we, and to work in partnership. And to work in partnership. again, uh, it's a very vague Nobody's answer. It's a, it's, very, it's very, look, listen, it's a very uh, vague answer. You gave a lot of things and you don't really seem to know why because you gave so many factors. The reason why there's a tax like that is because of foreign policy. Now, you might say, oh, this is Julian Mercil again, the leftist. No, no, this is the, the view of the CIA and intelligence agencies who know what they're talking about, right? Yeah, when, when, no, listen, so no, no, you talked a long time before. When um, the Iraq war happened, terrorism increased sevenfold worldwide. There's a reason for that. Now, if you look at the fighters, uh, ISIS fighters have been captured, what they say is like, well, you know, the Americans came to Iraq and they destroyed the country. We were really pissed off. So, you know, we don't like them. We don't like that. We don't like the Palestine uh, occupation. Right. right. But Julian, so, how does that explain why um, Muslims today, like Iraq was, what, when was the invasion? 2003? Yeah. That's a long time ago. Well, so why are, are people getting in involved in, in Europe, getting involved in suicide bombing now? Well, well first of all, Iraq is still uh, a mess. And in the last two years, there's been 11,000 airstrikes over Syria and Iraq by the US and uh, other countries in Europe. So that's the destruction is still going on very much every day. But is day. that not a humanitarian thing, protecting Muslim populations who are being slaughtered by, mm. by ISIS? By bombing the whole place? No, it's but not. They're not, well, no, they're not, not bombing the whole place. No. Just, just to, they to are. clarify. If you look at the Department of Defense website in the they're, US, they say 11. They're, yeah, very, they're, they're very proud of the targets they've destroyed. They've destroyed yeah, but, 6,000 buildings. Yeah, but they, oh, just 20, to put it into context, the, air, campaign, the air, ca- air campaigns are no good if you don't have forces on the ground. And that's why sometimes so I think you'd like it is a waste. So you like two of them. you like Air Force and the grounds, the ground troops. What I I'm mean, saying is that you have to have air support in support of ground troops, and the ground troops were never properly formulated. You saw the Kurdish Peshmerga mm. uh, bringing the fight to IS, and they got precious little support from the West. And this is why Mr. Putin has stepped in and uh, had his diplomatic victory. Look, the, and the reason the, and the why problem, we have ISIS no. came out straight of the Iraq war. The guy who leads ISIS, right, was in a jail in Iraq and he got radicalized there. Even the Washington Post said yeah. this was like a university for jihadists there. Well, it's, uh, yeah, it, there's no surprise there. Sorry, just one one point, we, we, and I should have mentioned it earlier. In fairness, we're forgetting too that the the current struggle is to do with the an age is old. Sunni Shia divide as well, and, and, that, and that, uh, no, that is true. And no, I mean, a lot that of, is true. Well, and to, and well, not maybe we left Roja, Roja would be, that um, okay, What I want to do oh. first is bring in Carol Hunt, <laughs> mm-hmm. okay? Because you wrote an article in the Sunday Independent, um, which was headlined "Defending Our Western Values Is the Only Way to Take a Firm Stand Against ISIL Terrorist Atrocities," and that viewing all Muslims as helpless victims is a trap that Western thinkers has fallen into. And in it, you talk about what aboutery. Yes. What do you mean by that? Well. Um, what I mean is that we, a, a lot of people, tend to view all uh, Muslim cultures as, as similar. They tend to put them into the same box. They don't really, I mean, if you look at, say, Ireland, you have as many different types of Catholics as you have people. It's the same in the Muslim world. You have as, as many different types of Muslim. Um, they do, they're not all represented just by one group. Um, and what I would mean by that, by Western values, 
would be individual rights, secularism, uh, freedom of speech. These are our modern values now. But these are only modern values now. You know, 50 years ago in Ireland, we had completely different cultural values. Cultures always change. They're always progressing. So therefore, I believe that cultures do not have rights. Individuals have rights. So therefore, if you say, you know, we have to protect such and such a culture. No, you protect such and such an individual. If you say you're protecting a culture, you really need to look at how the most vulnerable within those cultures are being affected by the culture that is that is surrounding them. Um, and you can see it's usually women, LGBT people, who really are affected by that. And my argument is that we need to protect those people. If we have Western values by Western, I mean universal human rights. They should be applied to all groups, irrespective of culture. So, but does that mean that you're saying that Islam is flawed in how it treats those minorities and therefore Islam is part of the problem? The religion itself mm-hmm is part of the radicalisation Some interpretations process. of Islam are, some are not. Um, actually, myself and Declan were at um, a, com- a seminar the other night, um, which was run by the I- Irish Muslim Peace and Integration Council, and they discussed all of these and the interpretations of Islam um, that were basically giving Islam a bad name, um, that were, were giving them wrong publicity, that and how they should protect Islam and how they should also value Western values. Our uh, secular rights that we have here in Ireland, they um, released an anti-extremism declaration where they say that they support non-discrimination, they support equality, they support LGBT rights, they support gender equality, because that is the secular law in Ireland. And that is not incompatible with practising Islam. So you said, can we admit that a culture which espouses universal human mm. rights is indeed superior to one? Absolutely, which, because we're So you're saying that the Christian, cultures. Judeo-Christian tradition in mm. Europe, I'm upon, not saying, upon which universal human rights is founded, is superior to Islam? I'm not saying that Judeo-Christian um, culture is superior. What I'm saying is that human universalist human rights, yes, is superior to any culture. Not ism. We can also look at Buddhism. We can look at Hinduism. We can look at all. I mean, you look at um, what's happening in Burma at the moment, the way um, Muslims are being mistreated. They're all any culture which disrespects individual groups because of their gender, because of their sexual orientation, because of their religion or their non-religion. Your they article, are, you wrote, you didn't write that. You wrote Western culture was superior that's what but you that's wrote. What I, no, that, but that, yeah, no, well, not, not culture, yeah, not culture. About, I'm, I'm sorry, but you're actually misinterpreting. The thing about universal and, and human rights. Can I just rights. get back in there a moment? The human rights, Carol, you always talk about that, right? Let's talk about human, universal human rights, such as invading Iraq, killing a million people. World War Two, World War One, a very good example here of uh, human rights. Asad. Yeah, really, uh, Okay, truly. if you want to get into I mean, that, why don't you go and you, we, we have lists and lists of all I'm not sorts of go. people I'm, from I'm different here, but that's, that's the fact, you know? But I mean, the US, I, I don't get the, your West, point. the West is not, the Western governments don't respect human rights. I'm not rights. talking about Western governments, well, I'm talking about universal okay, human well, rights. And thing. also, also, <laughs> many, many Muslim people are members of the West. This is what we heard the oh, other really? night. They are, okay. yes. And oh, also, and espouse these rights and also people in other areas espouse universal human okay. rights. You, I want can't, to bring you can't put in, people into little boxes like I, that. I want to yeah. bring in Roger Fazeli, who, God love her, is <laughs> the Muslim in the room. <laughs> I, like, I like how I'm being labelled. <laughs> <laughs> so look, it, there is no doubt about it that the fear of um, homegrown terrorism and these attacks that are in Europe, which do frighten people more than all the people being killed in the war, which is awful in itself, um, is is making people fear Muslims. And, you know, there have been programmes all week on Liveline, people ringing in, you know, saying they're worried. Um, 
you know, how do you feel about all of that? Um, well, how do I feel about it? Yeah. It's kind of, you know, what's happening here right now with the yeah. discussions that I think we have discussions about Islam, radical Islam, all these words get thrown all around the place. It's, you know, even to talk about radical Islam is very complicated. You have the militant side, but you also have the ideological side. And we talk about it. And, you know, I, I agree with what Declan said. I also agree with what Julian said in the sense. Uh, but, but both of you are not uh, are, are not putting this in a historical context. I think the historical context is extremely important. And what so, is it? Um, so you have, um, you know, in the last decade, uh, you have Middle East, North Africa has um, has witnessed this vacuum of stability and there is conflict. Um, previous to that, you had factors like colonialism. Europe was largely involved in that. Um, and then uh, failed post-colonial attempts at the state making. Um, all of these had made um, these anti-Western sentiments that led to these ideological Islamisms, Islamic active, um, so-called active. You know, there, there's mm. so many different. I don't even want to throw all these words in just to avoid confusion. But you know, you had the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt. The offshoot of that kind of um, uh, went on to to lead to other so-called radical Islamic groups. It's not a new thing. This radical, e- even in Europe, is not a new thing. What about the fact that? If you look at, okay, so religion has always been used as a tool for evil and for war, you know, and any religion can be used for that. But in Europe, we did have the Enlightenment and the whole concept of universal human rights was based on that Judeo-Christian tradition. I I don't agree with that. There is a really good book um, by um, UPenn University Press, Paul Lauren Gordon, talks about the universality of human rights, evolution of human rights. And really, like, the idea of human rights, you can say, stemmed from a variety of religious backgrounds. Um, So I don't know where this kind of universalism of human rights just being Judeo-Christian comes from? Is it from the actual drafting of UDHR? But even if you look at, you know, there's two sides to it. You look at the drafters of UDHR, you have um, uh, somebody from China, you have uh, somebody from Lebanon. Uh, uh, They were involved, they weren't on the drafting committee, but there were Muslim majority countries as well that were involved. But then there is the other side, of course, that say, well, this was drafted in 1948. And if you look at kind of, you know, Africa, Muslim majority countries, they were also called so there is, you know, there is not one side to any of this. So yeah. are you saying then that um, the lack of human rights in the whole, say, Middle Eastern region and Levant is not uh, caused by Islam? It's caused by political and historical reasons. I think reasons. there is so many different factors is not one or the other. I come from Iran and, uh, you know, and and I'm and academic and I'm an activist because I think there is interpretation of Shia Islam in Iran that, uh, you know, the statist interpretation that does lead to discrimination against women, discrimination against minorities, religious minorities. And there are certain, as you said, you know, for example, Omar al-Qadri, who has been talking about different interpretation of Islam. There are different interpretations of Islam, but these are coupled with um, politics uh, with with uh, with both international politics and local politics. I so think, I think one important distinction about this whole discussion about human rights is to make a distinction between governments and ordinary people, both in the West and in the Middle East. 
So Western governments, for example, have been at war for a long time. They don't care about human rights that much. People in the West, yeah, they would care very much. But in the Middle East, you also have governments that are very authoritarian, dictatorial. People in the Middle East are not the same thing. So the, the, when we compare Middle East and the West, we're missing that. It's more about governments everywhere that are trying to control things and ordinary people everywhere don't want to be enslaved. They don't want to, you know, be uh, sure, not sure, free. But I, there's, there's a difference. Mm-hmm. And I, I just make one point because I want to ask Roger a question as well. There's a difference in that Julian's entitled to his opinion there. But I've been uh, over the years on various different kinds of uh, work, some of which has been with the UN, the EU or whatever else. Like it or lump it, Western governments are held to account mm-hmm. by their population about human rights. They have to invest in time, energy and money in programs that support things that are about trying to improve fragile states, improve the lot of misbegotten people in uh, humanitarian disasters. Now, that's that's come about Otherwise over... Otherwise they're voted out. Yeah, well... But that's because the, people also, force them, as you well, said. Exactly. It's not yes, because exactly. they got... So it's, not because it's democratic. Exactly, so but that's because of people asking. It's not because the government wants But I think you're making too much... That. Hold on, the governments are off the people, quite literally. And it's too divisive to say that the governments are there and the people are there because, you know, they're, they're enmeshed in one so another. So you think the governments represent people? So yeah. when George Bush Actually, invades Iraq, it, it's all yes. the Americans who they said, do. yeah, we, we want to invade Iraq. Hold on, we're we going, off, that, really. th- th- we're going well, offline. Hold on a second. Just let's keep uh, the focus here. What I'm saying is that in Western Europe, we actually have a luxury of a relationship with our governments that I would say in general is not the case in the Middle East, like it or lump it, and, uh, if I was interpreting what Roger was saying. And I wanted to ask you a question, Roger. Uh, would you say because of this confluence of political, social and religious <coughs> excuse me, factors that you were talking about, that it has given rise to a kind of an irrational kind of uh, outpouring sometimes of bile and it gets directed is in, in sometimes wrongly directed in certain areas, and that that's unha- that has been unhelpful. Not I'm not saying the West haven't had their role in creating some of the chaos, but they're not. It's not exclusive. Well, I just wonder what your thoughts um, might be. Yeah, about. absolutely. Like you have corrupt governments in the Middle East. You have look at what happened after the. You know, the people tried to speak in um, Middle East, North Africa. Mm-hmm. You're talking about autocratic, theocratic. Um, uh, governments uh, that clamped down. Um, so it's it's not just one sided. Like I, I see where Julian is coming from as well. At the same time, like look at uh, the rise in number of suicide bombers, and it correlates to um, the the war in Iraq, the uh, um, the occupation, and so on. So it's it, you know it's it's not just one sided. There is yeah. there is two sides. But would you completely disentangle the religion from? the breakdown of governance in the region? Um, if So if I had my choice, I would say keep religion out of politics. Um, you go um, talk to Iranians on the ground right now. I don't mm. want to generalize. I haven't been back for, for a long time. Yeah. Talk to Iranians in Ireland. <laughs> and mm. um, nobody wants a religious government anymore. Nobody. Yeah, but, but, the, and, but the question is, it's there. And why is it there? Is it some is Islam part of the reason it's, that it's there? It's, Do you know what I mean? It's there. It's there mm. as um, as I said because it it wasn't created in um, in a vacuum. There is a historical context to it. So with in Iran, for example, like in the 1970s, generally actually Iran and Muslim majority nations at the time, you're talking about Islamic revivalism, uh, but also an an anti-imperial, anti-Western sentiment. So with Iran, that was brewing from the 1800s. 
um, you know, with the uprising in Ireland, actually, there is correlation mm-hmm. to the Iranian constitutionalism, for example. Um, but so it wasn't, you know, it, it was it was there from the late 1800s, early 1900s. There was a mistrust of the monarchy and the monarchs were seen as Western or Western you, allies. No, you, I want Hang to put on. a question to you, Julian. <clears throat> I have to take an ad break after this. But OK, so you're making the point that and, and Roja was, was backing you up to some extent with it. Look, human rights, universal human rights. That's not the exclusive prerogative of the Judeo-Christian tradition. However, you do live in Europe where we do have a liberal uh, lifestyle. So, for example, I've seen you support things like gay rights and abortion and and things like that. None of those things are available in, you know, the Muslim countries of the Middle East. Um, They are in Israel, which is a functioning liberal democracy. And I know they've got the nuclear weapons. I know about (laughs) cluster bombs and phosphorus and all of that. But it is a liberal society. Do you not draw any connection between, say, gay rights in Europe and the lack of gay rights in Middle East and the Judeo-Christian tradition and Islam? Well, what I would say is, again, now we're trying to pitch uh, to, to rank Middle East and, and Europe, the way I see it, I mean, I can see your point. I mean, nobody that I know denies that uh, civil liberties are not very advanced in the Middle East, right? I mean, that's not like uh, something that yeah. is worth debating. But again, look at the Arab Spring. Massive uprising for democracy there. And that's very... But it failed. Really, yeah, the well, it failed because people didn't want it. It failed because of the Equal human rights Actually, and tell equal what, you gender hold, rights. Will you hold yeah. that thought? We'll take a quick break. Talking Point on News Talk 106 to 108. And welcome back to Talking Point this morning. We're talking about radicalisation and Islamophobia in studio. Carol Hunt is a columnist with the Sunday Independent and a candidate for the Senate in the NUI panel. Subliminal advertisement there. Not very subliminal, <laughs> actually. Thank you. <laughs> Declan Powers, security analyst. Roja Fazeli is a lecturer in Islamic studies in Trinity College, Dublin. And Julian Merciel is a lecturer in UCD. And we'd like your text on 53106 for 30 cent and at Talking Point NT for Sh- tweets. Should I say, and Julian and I aren't running for the Senate. Ex- yeah. <laughs> well, you, you must be nearly the only ones that are. I think we're the only ones in Dublin. I got the Trinity College ballot paper during the week and it was folded over several times. There were so many people on it. that's a shorter one than the NUI. Yeah. Um, So morning, Sarah. The Irish should especially have empathy with the Muslim community. Unfortunately, I'm old enough to remember IRA bombings in the UK in the 80s. No Irish person I knew supported this. Yet in many cases, we were all tarred with the same brush. Whenever there was an IRA bomb, the news on BBC would have an Irish flag in the background. Therefore, we were guilty by association. There was a not in our name march in Dublin recently by the Muslim community. And I remember going on a similar march after the IRA Warrington bomb. The way to defeat this is by showing understanding towards your Muslim Mm neighbours it would be a lot harder for ISIS to recruit members if Bush and Blair were in jail for war crimes instead of safely retired surrounded by fluffy towels Cormac we live out the last bit there I think (laughs) Julie would probably um, agree with this Carol you were we were just before the break we were talking about trying to disentangle why people get radicalised what proportion has to do with the experience of say poverty and colonisation and political instability and how much has to do with the religion and you wanted to make a point about Catholicism in Ireland. Yes and I think actually that that also feeds into what um, Rosha was saying and your last texture in that now on a much milder scale but Ireland was the the only country in Western Europe that was colonised and um, then when we became a free state um, we effectively 
handed over power to a religious group, mm. to a very oppressive, if you were a woman or if you were gay, it was a very oppressive religious group. And that was the culture in Ireland for decades. Very, very. I actually was talking to my aunt who was in her 70s the other, and she said she emigrated and most of her friends emigrated because of this oppression. So, so was the cause of the oppression the religion? Or was the cause of the oppression the poverty? Again, again you have all of these, the same conflicting yeah. factors. You have post-colonialism, you have immaturity, you have a young nation, you have absolute poverty, and then you have a striving for identity, for some sort of identity. And the identity that we clicked into was Catholicism. And Declan Power, you were at that seminar in Trinity during yeah. the week about preventing mm-hmm. radicalisation. And at it, um, a statement was produced. Um, the, the person running it was Sheikh mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Umar Al-Khadri. And it's a statement that he wants all visiting Muslim mm-hmm. lecturers to sign. And it says things like, I unequivocally reject, disown and condemn all terrorism committed in the name of Islam by any any militant group. I believe that terrorism is never a legitimate and honourable act of war, but it's always a cowardly act of indiscriminate murder. And it goes on. Now, I can see what they're trying to do, Mm -hmm. that if um, radicalising lecturers are coming in, they want them to sign this. And if they don't, we'll know that they're one of the bad guys. But could you imagine in the 80s going to the UK and you want to give a lecture somewhere and somebody mm. produces this statement that you have to sign. Yeah, yeah. Is it not really <laughs> insulting? Well, no, hold on. Just yes. There's a number. Well, it, it was brought up. Yeah. Mm. And there's there's a couple of points here uh, that we can't gloss over. And some of what just to, to take what Carol was saying, just to take it a stage further, despite the repressive era, uh, I wouldn't dispute anything we're saying, but it, that didn't produce terrorism in Ireland in, its, in itself. Not, not to get bogged down in that, I'm, but yeah. there were a number of other factors. And I think w- this uh, this kind of links in a little bit with what um, both Roja and, and Julian were saying and the, the, the varying factors. And we can't ignore it. Uh, the former Australian soldier and uh, a practitioner and theorist in counterinsurgency, David Kilcullen, talks and wrote about the accidental terrorist. And an awful lot of people in, in this current iteration of terrorism <laughs> have found themselves becoming terrorists by a combination of, of bizarre and unusual factors uh, of, of disenchantment of, of a whole variety of things. Like, for instance, IS prospered largely because the uh, Iraqi officer corps were disestablished mm. and they weren't ideologues so much themselves, but they were mad as hell that their prestige had been taken away from their rank in society. And they gave IS their uh, military prowess, their, the planning and the execution of the military operations that gave them success. They're not the you see cutting people's heads off or roaring and shouting. They're, they're not into that side of things. And we kind of forget some of the factors. And you know, Kilcullen is scathing in his criticism of the US in terms of how they misinterpreted things. And they did. So it comes back to, in terms of dealing with terrorism, uh, you, what you've got to do is, first of all, not alienate those who are on your side, which now brings me to your point. <laughs> Eventually. <laughs> I apologise for that. But I think, okay. it, I think it was important maybe just to give context. Yeah. Here, we, we, for, I hear, I don't know about the rest of you, but every time there's an, a, an attack or an outrage of some sort there's usually some very hard-nosed people who say oh, uh, you know uh, why don't they give out about it we don't see the Muslims standing up for it and I will usually counter and say well I've heard X or Y now here in Dublin we've seen Sheikh Al-Qadri and a number of others you know he's not just st- talking of his own bad stand up a Muslim driven initiative within the Muslim community and uh, where they're not asking the state to do it, they're, they're they're attempting to give leadership to their own community to say, well, this is what we stand for, and this and they're using this as a as a an exhibit. 
uh, like it or lump it, this declaration. They're not asking all Muslims to have to sign it, or even all mosques. They're talking about people coming into Ireland. Well, it's a bit and, of a and, trap and I, there. I, well, hold on. I support but this the, is the concept. The Muslim of that. people there who supported this absolutely. Yeah, so, absolutely. They're, they're damned. They're damned. Like by, then, by, by saying that, you're like infantilizing like, them and like, saying that like, they can't make like their Sarah, own decisions. Yeah, exactly. What Sarah was saying to ask. I mean. Muslims, oh, do you do you uh, oppose this uh, act of terrorism? Uh, like you said, we don't do that to to any of us when uh, some of our states bomb uh, uh, Syria and Iraq, right? Muslims are are not responsible. Roja, how any, do you feel about the um, statement? Um, to be honest, well, I wasn't at the talk, so um, I suppose the discussion that went on is important to understanding yeah, it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I read some part of it. I read the Irish Times. Um, th- the statement itself, I don't have a problem with. And I agree that, you know, there is always talks about the Muslims themselves doing it, even though, you know, I have a problem even with saying the Muslims, because mm-hmm. who are these Muslims, the yes. diversity yeah. and mm-hmm. so on. You just take away so mm-hmm. much from from even lumping everyone as Muslims. Um, I know um, I know Sheikh uh, Al-Ghadri and I know where his heart lies. Um, and um, I, I don't think it's a negative thing for this to be out. I don't know how it's going to be implemented. It will be interesting to see mm. where it goes. Uh, they but did I, say it was a work in progress. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And I think that's if important. you had a mm-hmm. colleague from a university in the UK and you were inviting them over to give a talk to your class um, and uh, this statement was produced and they were asked to sign it. I mean, would you would you well, ask them to sign it? To, who's going to to implement this. Okay, well, let's say... Can I give I a I would never go to a talk if I, I was asked, do you renounce the, the violence yeah. of... Because violence. Hold on, I'm sorry. But, but Julian, can you understand why I, they're doing it? That they're afraid I, of radicalised yeah, electors coming in here to m- sell yeah. a message. Maybe politically it's a good thing because everybody's asking him to do it, but it's a trap that you don't want to fall into. You don't want to have to set the standard by which Muslims have to apologise for everything. No, they're not apologising. Well, they're saying, I renounce... No, no, hold on a second. The key thing, and I've, I heard Dr. Al Qadri talk about this, I think, in this station. The key thing he's asking is that visiting clerics would sign a declaration that they wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't attempt to radicalize so, while in this country, um, that they wouldn't uh, preach against the values of this country. And this is coming from a Muslim voice. And there's one other point I wanted to give a parallel. It's not that long ago I can remember reading letters to the Irish Times signed by various worthy academics uh, wanting academic boycotts of Israel and various other uh, types of limitations in Israel. Now, I'm not saying that Israel doesn't have uh, issues to answer at times, but I'm always very uncomfortable about things uh, where you, you, you're, you're trying to, to limit people. So I did give this whole thing consideration. And at the end of the day, if I was an Irish academic in the 80s going over to a lecture on history or something like that, and the British state asked me to ask, but it's not the state, it would be yeah, well, your sorry, fellow, actually, yeah, yes, or, or fellow, fellow, fellow yes, Irish. But even if the British state had asked me to <laughs> sign it, I would sign it because I would understand how important it was for Irish people at that time mm-hmm. to be able to stand up and say, I'm an Irish citizen and what they're doing, this uh, group, is nothing to do with me and I don't want to be seen as an instrument of and radicalization. I want to let Roja back in sorry. on that. Um, yeah. Yeah, you said something there, Declan, um, about this being signed by Muslim clerics because I, I hear kind of That's contradicting is it clerics it. or lectures there's a huge difference <laughs> so yeah, yeah. well as I understood it it was aimed primarily at visiting clerics who mm. were coming to preach and who would be in a powerful position to influence the analogy so that was given that there are um, in, in um, universities in Britain um, they said they had heard very extremist talks given in lectures but Carol do you not see how it's setting up a dichotomy that there's us and them, 
and they have to no, but, but declare and, themselves. And this was actually brought yeah. up at at the discussion, and and the um, Muslim representatives, the clerics, there said no, it's not us and them. It's us. This is all us. This is so the fact that it's trying. So the fact do. that it's coming yes. from, from the, them, the Muslim community. Yes, they said this you is think what that's really important. And yeah. they said, well, not me. That's what they said. And yeah. the same yeah. arguments it, came up. And see, that's uh, why they said. As I said, I wasn't yeah. there uh-huh. that night. Yeah. But um, th- th- there is something to be said again with uh, saying that you know uh, Sheikh Al Qadri mm-hmm. is speaking for all Muslims in Ireland. No, because there is uh, you know the most. But he's not. Yeah. And and but but we shouldn't think that 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 he is or. Um, you know, and, and he's he's a good voice. Yeah. It's not that he's not, but he's, he's not a speaking. Voice. He's yeah. an the alternative thing, voice. Yeah. Yeah. I exactly. agree. The best thing I think to come out of this is that it reminds us. This goes back to the earlier points that Roger was saying that there are layers and nuances and differentiations within the Islamic community mm-hmm. in in Ireland and elsewhere. And it's it's giving a platform to a debate within the Muslim community being had in public. And I, I for one, welcome it and I endorse oh. it. I'm not so, trying to say what. So, right, Julian, does it make any difference to you that it, this is coming? from within the Muslim community. It's not, you know, Christians in Ireland imposing this. Well, it's okay, but for the reasons you said, I agree with you. It's setting up this us and them thing. In Ireland, you know, but it's coming from the them. The statement is coming from them. It's okay. Yeah, it may be better that than non-Muslims forcing them to do it. Yeah. Right? But it doesn't mean I think the statement is uh, amazing or anything like that. I don't think it's the worst thing But do you not ever. welcome the bit of discussion and debate that it's giving rise to? It's fine, but when you force people... Look, the thing is, let's say you want to talk about Ireland, what we should do. We talked about the Muslims now for 45 minutes, right? We should talk about what the Irish government can do. Shannon Airport hasn't been mentioned yet on this show. Well, right? do you want to mention this Shannon? <laughs> well, <laughs> I read your piece about well, Shannon look, and look, I noticed I've, that I you left out the two any, UN resolutions. Okay, we so let him make his point again. about you know, Shannon. Shannon, Shannon Airport is the one contribution Ireland has made to allow US troops to go bomb the Middle East, right? So if there's one thing we could do to reduce the threat of terrorism on Ireland is to close Shannon Airport to US troops. Because because terrorists react to foreign policy. If you don't understand that, you should no, be part don't. of discussion. No, they don't. No, 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 no. Yes, Actually, they do. No, uh, no. See, intelligence no. agencies agree with me, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just me. I mean, the CIA knows that very well. If you bomb a country and uh, there's uh, a response to it, you shouldn't be surprised. And there will be more on Europe. There well, will that's be more very irresponsible. So I, right. I have to come in. I have to come well, in here because there's a degree yeah. of, uh, Julian, with all due respects, I read your piece. Uh, it was in um, the journal. The journal. When it came out. And... You know, again, everyone's entitled to their opinion, but I have a concern here, Julian, because you're kind of doing this from the luxury uh, of not giving full context. First of all, the reason that Shannon is in use, there are two particular uh, points here that are very relevant. The reason Shannon is in use is not because of some little secret agreement with the Irish uh, government and the US. There are two UN resolutions that underpin what are, what's the reconstruction and stabilization of both Iraq and Afghanistan. And as part of that, it's facilitating uh, those, US resu- uh, those UN resolutions. If it was another... So if, Shannon just is facilitating let me the, the rec- reconstruction it, of Iraq. Is that what well, you hold said? On, hold on a second. It's not what, not, no, it's not what I'm saying. It's yeah. not what I'm saying. It's what the United Nations are saying. And we're members of the United Nations and we can't pick That's and choose. That's not true. Look, not, oh, oh, you want to dismiss it? If you don't understand that... Uh, you're an academic. I suggest you get your facts right. 
Hold if, on. if you don't understand that Shannon Airport is used to bomb the Middle East, well, listen, just, listen, just go talk to soldiers hold or something. I was. Let me finish this. I was a soldier. I've gone beyond the lofty halls of academia. that Shannon Airport is used to reconstruct Iraq. No, no, hold on. No, there's an important point here, Julian. I don't mind you disagreeing with me, but let's stay in the realm of fact. For a start, the aircraft that fly through Shannon are transport aircraft. They have troops on them. They have a certain degree of their personal weapons and whatever else. And they're flying out as part of UN-sponsored, UN-endorsed missions. Now, do you accept that fact? The U.S. military. Simply, there, do you accept the fact? The U.S. military there is going because we're going to be arguing cross purposes here. Afghanistan, otherwise. right, and operations in the Middle East, right. If you want to pitch that under a UN uh, figly for I, I, I don't. You, you seem to think that I'm making this up as I go along. Okay, we're not going to get anywhere in this. You don't accept that there are two UN resolutions underpinning I don't the accept, use of Shannon. I don't accept that Shannon Airport is used for peaceful purposes by the US military. Okay, that's, so well, listen, Julian, that's your point. So Julian, but there are two it's your UN point, resolutions. therefore, that if we get bombed ourselves, it's well, our we had fault. it coming. Is that what you're if, saying? If if you want to reduce the likelihood of a terrorist attack in Ireland, right, you can never prevent it completely because we don't control everything. If you want to reduce it, you close Shannon Airport. That's right? nonsense. If you, but but well, uh, but is the corollary is. of that not I'd that if we leave it open and mm-hmm. we are bombed, you'll say it's our own fault because we left Shannon open? Well, it's our own fault. I mean, it, again, like we said, it's never only one thing, right? But if you want to reduce the likelihood that this is going to happen. You close Shannon Airport. The same reason if you want to reduce the likelihood of the U.S. getting attacked again, you don't destroy a country like Iraq. I have to take an ad break on that. We'll be back in a minute. Talking Point on News Talk 106 to 108. And welcome back to Talking Point. We're talking about terrorism and Islamophobia in studio. Carol Hunt, columnist with the Sunday Independent and candidate for the Senate on the NUI panel. Declan Powers, security analyst. Roja Fazeli, lecturer in Islamic studies in Trinity College, Dublin. And Julian Mercier, lecturer in UCD 53106 for your text for 30 cent. And uh, someone says, America invaded Vietnam too. How come we don't have a wave of Buddhist suicide bombers attacking the West? I think there's a problem with Buddhist terrorism in Burma. Um, why is it if anyone goes to their country, we have to go by their rules, but they are looking for rights in our country? And I suppose that's a classic statement that you will hear and is a commonly expressed opinion which could be interpreted as Islamophobia and I want to play one small clip from a programme that was on RTE2 on Thursday night called I Am Immigrant. It was written and directed by Luke McManus and this is um, a Muslim lady who wears hijab describing how she and her friends were attacked. Myself and a friend of mine were physically abused on uh, public transport. It was a group of girls they were screaming things like, watch until I take that thing off her head. You effing this, you effing that, you effing Muslim. I'm going to kill you. And then... After we got off the bus, they followed us. And... Um, they just attacked my friend because turned around and they had pulled her headscarf off. There was about five people attacking her, kicking her back and her stomach and everything. Everyone stood there. Nobody did anything. So that is in Dublin. It's from I Am Immigrant, which was on RT2 on Thursday night. So, Carol, you see, this is Mm -hmm. the trickle down then of all of this, that we have this Islamic terrorism and I'm putting that in inverted commas and for example there was a survey done by Ipsos Mari some years ago was in the Guardian where people were asked how many do you think are Muslim out of 100 people in your country so in France 
uh, people thought one third of the population was Muslim, but it's only 8%. Mm-hmm. In the UK, where is that gone? Uh, Great Britain, people thought 21% of people in their country were Muslim, but it's actually only 5%. Mm-hmm. So once you build up this dichotomy, this idea of the and other. The fear. And the yes. fear. The fear. And the, uh, it, said it, it, exactly. it, it trickles down into mm-hmm. this poor woman and her friends being attacked on Dublin city streets. And are you helping that? by talking about Western values and the problem with Islam no, and because, all of that. Because, and again, at, at the meeting we were at the other night, this yeah. again was discussed and that they support um, um, secular values and uh, the rule of law. But also what they said was that there has been a huge problem with integration. And again, it's the whole multicultural argument, um, integrating communities together and what both communities can do to, you know, Now to, explain to multiculturalism. Um, yeah. there, and a lot of people, uh, you know, you hear the word multiculturalism, think yes well everybody likes lots of cultures it's the problem is that multiculturalism is not diversity multiculturalism is and I think actually Ken and Malik is the best authority on this he's an excellent book um, called uh, From Fatwa to Jihad which if anybody wants an explanation of how it worked that communities became uh, um, described by their identity basically they were put into boxes of you know you are Muslim you are Christian you are this and that uh, and that is how multicultural so you had communities growing up side by side with different rules so you would have like I would have uh, women coming over maybe from the Middle East expecting say in Britain that they would be living in a democratic country where they have equal rights before the law but they were in communities where the culture was protected so they did not have the same rights as British women and and that is hugely problematic with multiculturalism. So multiculturalism is not anti-diversity and it is certainly not anti-immigrant but it's pro- quite the opposite. But protecting the culture led to a kind of isolation and alienation. Exactly yes. Right. And, and you know cultures I don't think have rights but I think people have rights. Individual has to have rights. So Roja Fazeli, um, uh, what do you think of that policy of multiculturalism that by protecting culture and this leads to this alienation that's part of the radicalization problem? Um, I think it um, it goes back uh, to the question of um, what we perceive people to be the identity um, and this whole Muslimness and mm-hmm. how we perceive the Muslims as others, and I, I you know, I like to bring mm-hmm. it back again to this historical context that we are not talking about history of Islam. There's one, is more than one thousand four hundred years of history. You had the Abbasid periods, the Golden Age of Islam, when Europe was in the mm-hmm. Dark Ages, uh, that there was so much advances in sciences, in philosophy, the translation movement that uh, translated Syriac and Greek texts into Arabic that preserved these philosophical thoughts that wouldn't have been preserved. Europe itself has a history of an Islamic um, empire, or I don't know, dynasty, mm-hmm. the Al-Andalus, the Umayyads of Al-Andalus. Yeah. And this was... You Andalusia. Know, Andalusia. And this yeah. would have been the time of the Catholic that Inquisition. When the pl- this is a pluralistic mm-hmm. society, and we don't talk about this. And I like to actually, this is anecdote, but I've been talking about this a lot, about um, Islamism and so on. I teach a course, um, it's an introductory course, and uh, I get the students to debate because I think debate is so important. Intelligent students who I absolutely love come out saying this is not our problem. This is a Muslim problem. Mm-hmm. And wh- who are the Muslims in Ireland? I am an mm. Irish Muslim. <laughs> I'm Irish as yes. well as, you know, uh, all these different identities. Declan, yes. you have experience of conflicts all around the world. And mm-hmm. before the show, we were talking about South Sudan, where different Christian tribes are mm-hmm. engaged in a civil war now. Is this just simply 
human nature to identify the other and have in-groups and out-groups and however that out-group is identified it uh, drives the spark for violence and for rivalry. Unfortunately, things like religion and national identity, tribal identity are great instruments for people who uh, seek power to manipulate people into going to uh, getting into conflict, going to war, engaging in terrorism, whatever. And that's why uh, one of the things when we talk about, uh, as we were before the break, about how to protect ourselves or countering terrorism or whatever else. In this country, we haven't developed any effective counter violent extremism programs, which is a big part now of new um, doctrine within uh, trying to manage and co- terrorism. And even the words I'm using, we, we get a bit obsessed, the French get obsessed with uh, going to war to protect civilization, whereas we need to, to change our thinking. It's about managing, containing the conflict, and we need to have a partnership with the community that's most affected. In this case, it happens to be the broad Islamic community. That's the, the best way to combat it. OK, and I'm sorry, Julian, I don't have time to let you back in. I'm okay. really sorry about that, but we'll get you back. So many thanks to all my guests this morning. Eamon has sent a lovely text saying, well-chosen panel and brilliant, lively arguments, but I may need training in mixed martial arts for refereeing. <laughs> uh, so look, that's it for today. Many thanks to my guests and for all your comments. Eva Breen produced. Bobby Kerr is up next. He's bringing back the high street in Sligo. So ring your pals in Sligo and tell them to tune in. Goodbye from me and thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to this News Talk 106 6 to 108 podcast. To download other programs or for more information, go to newstalk.ie.